Hi guys, and welcome back to Motor Up Sports. I'm your host, Kenny Eaton, and today I'm in a great mood. Lions win. My fantasy team came back last night. Shout out Aaron Jones. Great morning, guys, or afternoon by the time this launches. I am so fired up with the Lions, man. Like, this is the best I have felt after a game in a very long time. And I am so proud of them today. How about Ian Hutchison, guys? Like, I sat here... And I've been completely wrong about him so far. I was very upset with his first game where he struggled most of the game against Hurts or actually all of the game. But I said this was the game he needed to come out and make a statement. And he sure as hell made a statement. Here are my complaints. Here are my bitching. He's heard the fans calling him a bust. He's heard all of that. He came on that field in the first half. And let me tell you, that first half was one of the best defensive first halves I've seen from a Detroit Lions lineman in a long time. Since probably Sue. Amazing game. Detroit player of the week easily goes to him. Three sacks, two tackles for losses. Made a big play in safety. And he, of course, an intentional grounding. Unreal game. You see the fucking potential in him. He's fast. He's strong. He has good moves. That was exactly what I wanted to see out of him. That's how number two pick's supposed to play. Unreal game. Unreal game for him. And another shout out to Jeffrey Okuda. Locked up Terry McLaurin pretty much the whole game. He did a lot of the ball to Dotson. But five targets, three receptions, 31 yards on him. That is clamp up defense. That exactly is the defense that we need out of him all year. I want him to be the next Deion Sanders. We know we're probably not getting that out of him. If he's going to come in here every single week and clamp up receiver ones all year this year and for the rest of his career, Hutchinson's doing what he's doing on the line. And Rodrigo, yeah, he, he made some mistakes in this game, but he was really good against the run. You see the potential with him there. You might have three guys on this defense that are long-term pieces that will be very, very good defenders. And this is where I go back to the point where this offseason, you don't need, I don't think, as much on defense as I originally intended us to, to fill. This offseason, you need to go out there. You need to find the top linebacker. You need to find the top safety. And you need to find another defensive tackle. If you can pull all that, and I get like Paschal still sitting on the bench or Aquara's been out most of the year. If you look at the Lions right now, they have a core. There's some dogs on that defense. This is the offseason you have to spend. And I honestly, I wouldn't be so mad if they stay off one more year either. I would sit here and wait until the perfect quarterback comes up into play to swoop in and take because they, I've never had a problem with golf. You guys have all had a problem with golf. That game he played was great too. But back to Rodrigo, he was flying all over the place. He was really good against the run all game. There were a few plays he got blown in coverage where he blew it up himself. So that's a little concerning, but he's a rookie, six-round pick rookie. He's playing like a second-round pick rookie, first-round pick. You can even say like, he was really good again. The first half was some of the best Lions football I've ever watched, if not the best Lions half of football I've ever watched. That was awesome. That's the football that they need to play all year. Because the way that defense was flying, they would have – locked up any team in the league. They were all over the place in the first half. There's something about this team that's a little concerning to me. And what's concerning is how they've come out in the third quarter this year. They've been really bad in the third quarter. They were awful in the third quarter. Now, granted, when you go up that much, it's really hard to lose. You and I both know that. It is really hard to lose when you're up that much at half. And you dominate the game like that. But they almost did. But every time they got punched, they punched back. They've never done that. 
And that's where I move on to the whole culture shift and how that's just completely changing. There's so much leadership from Dan Campbell. You saw with Dan Skipper crying post game, he gave him the game ball. Shout out to him, first career start. He left a sack early, but he played a phenomenal game. He was awesome too. I'll even throw him up there in conversation for Detroit Player of the Week. For a guy who's starting his first NFL game and he has to play a different position and he's never played before in a game, he played extremely well. That speaks to culture. If you guys saw the video about Dan Skipper after the game, he first off let him speak first at a press conference, which was awesome to me. It just shows what, what Campbell is building here and his leadership to this team and how all the guys have rallied behind him. This is a completely different feel from what we've had in the past. And this is something where I think all everybody should buy in. Because that game showed that everybody should buy into this team. This might not be the year that they go out there and they make the playoffs. I hope they do. That's game this weekend. They look like a team when they're healthy that can play spoiler and potentially slip their way in. I, I've said it all offseason. They, they'll probably end up getting close. Eight, nine wins. I'm sticking with that. That game made me feel even better about that prediction because of how dominant they were in the first half. They have not dominated a game like that in my life in one half. That speaks to what Campbell's building. And let me tell you, this is a whole lot less talent than Jim Schwartz had, than Patricia had in the beginning. At that, I mean, the Patricia talent was horrible because of all move after move was just horrible. And this is a completely less talented team than Caldwell ever had. And I would put them up against those teams right now. I really would. Do I think they would beat the top Caldwell teams, like the one that played the Cowboys? No. But I would put them up against those teams, and I think most of those games they would win. They just play so hard. They just play for Campbell, and they play for each other. And that's scary, man. I mean, we all see it. This is a different feel. This is something that, as a Lions fan, I've never felt before. I've yet to be this happy after a Lions game in my entire life. This win feels different. But moving to the offensive side of the ball, Goff, you guys can say all you want about his overthrows. I mean, he had a few, and then he missed horrible. I'm giving him an A-. minus. He was very good. He made the right throws. He made the right decisions. And if you look at his numbers right now, he's doing a hell of a lot better job than Stafford's doing. No, I know. He's no Matt Stafford. I'm not throwing it out there. But the way he's played so far this year, as a Lions fan, you can't sit here and complain to me about it. He's going to make his mistakes. He's going to overthrow receivers. He's not going to get the ball downfield a lot. They're going to be a whole a lot better when Jameson Williams is back, the fastest fucking man in the world. When Jameson comes back, God's going to have to go downfield to Jameson. St. Brown's look like one of the best fucking receivers in the league so far this year. I mean, my God, he's even good. Another eight, another eight reception game for him. I am so happy with this team right now. There are so many positives. And that's a fourth round pick. And that's what goes to show the job that Brad Holmes is doing as a GM. He's one of the best players out of that entire draft. He snagged him in the fourth round. The guy was not projected to be this number one receiver that he's been so far this year. And at the end of the year, last year, St. Brown's pretty fucking good. St. Brown's a receiver one right now in the NFL. He's the job that this front office has done so far the job that Campbell has done so far in year two. I am so amazed. See, when they hired Campbell in the beginning, I was like, this guy is just another clown, another Lions disaster. I, I was all over. He, I had the podcast last year. I would have been ripping on Campbell. But what he has done so far has been so impressive. 
what Brad Holmes has been doing, bringing in guys that are young players. He doesn't have any guys over. I don't think he has a guy over at the age of 30. He might have one or two. It speaks to the job that they're doing as a whole. That was one of the best Lions games I've watched in my life. I'm a little concerned about Hawkinson. I was hoping this would be the year he'd take that leap to the, like the same level as Kelsey, the same level as Ertz was at one point. You know, I want him at that Kelsey level. And he's not even close. If you're going to draft a tight end that early, he better give Kelsey numbers. And he's not. He dropped a lot of balls. His blocking was okay. It's just not, I don't think he's that good. That speaks back to the last regime and how they couldn't draft. How they couldn't fucking sign a player to save their lives. I was never a Hawkinson fan at all. I always thought he should have been the guy you traded for draft picks, him and Stafford. But it, he's here long-term. You have to commit to him. I am not a huge fan of it. If you draft tight end in the first round, he's going to have to give first-round production. And that's called being the best tight end in football right now, or at least in the top three. He's not even close to that conversation. He was horrible yesterday. I really hope that was just a bad game from him. But that was a little bit concerning to me. And then, you know, we heard all offseason this golf chart connection. I haven't seen it yet. Chart has dropped a lot of balls. This year. I'm not really worried about that because I've seen Chark. Chark's a good receiver. They'll find their stride. That's the least of my concerns is Chark and Goff. The whole line was also very good again, considering pretty much everybody was hurt and they were still carrying holes for Swift. Goff had a lot of time and only one penalty the entire game. Remember, I bitched about how many penalties there were last game. And there were so many stupid penalties. Credit to Campbell and the players. One penalty all game on the first drive, that was a false start in Sula. With a, with a completely banged up O-line, the fact they were penalty free pretty much the whole game. The defense, not one penalty on that defense, that was committing penalty after penalty that entire first game. No holds. It was perfect football. Five yards in penalty, you're going to win a lot of games if you don't commit stupid penalties. And they did. I'm so proud of this team. The conditioning staff is very concerning to me, though, because it's week two. There's injuries everywhere on that defense. I think this that's got to be looked at because when you're down 4-0 linemen on your first game, you're playing practice squad guys. Now, Grant, the practice squad guy were pretty fucking good because I don't think Washington was that great of a team. Washington's probably like the same level of team as us in terms of they'll probably win six games. Like, and we're probably a 6-7 win team with a normal schedule. So – not like Washington was like this slouch team like Jacksonville or Houston or Chicago. Well, they're a decent team. They'll win a few games this year. I'm just very happy right now. They took care of business. And Ron Rivera is so stupid. I mean, going for two for no reason, that cost them the game. And then missing the extra point was so stupid. Look, the Lions got lucky, which is something we've never heard as a fan base before. There were stupid mistakes on the other side. It never happens. Normally, we're the ones making the stupid decisions. I'm very proud of my Lions. I'm in a great mood because of them. You guys want to know what else makes me really happy? For the first time all season, I'm saying it. The Detroit Tigers look like a competent MLB franchise for the first time in seven years. Tigers have named Scott Harris GM of the Detroit Tigers. He will run the show now. I've always been a big fan of his. Scott's running the show here in Detroit. Big time hire. He was the main 
He was one of the main reasons why the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, being Theo Epstein's right-hand man. He's ran the last three years with the Giants as GM there, so a pretty damn good job there, too. He withdrew his name from the Mets search last year, so this guy has been around baseball for a while. 35 years old, which is, I think, awesome. Bringing a young guy who knows the game. Chris Illich, you're off the hook for a month. If you spend money this offseason, you're off the hook for a fucking while. But great hire by the Detroit Tigers, putting the right people in power. I'm happy that they look like, for once, a competent MLB franchise. Great move today. Makes me excited moving forward. Whatever Scott Harris chooses to do with this team, I'm, I'm happy with. And I will not be opposed to what he does to start. Good job, Tigers. Good job for keeping me in a good mood today. But Michigan State doesn't put me in a good mood, so now I got to just move on to it. And I was unfortunately very correct about that game. Did I think they were going to lose like that? Oh, no way in hell. But this team is glaringly not good. Because this was like your perfect game. This was like your Miami game of last year. This is a building block game for the rest of the season. Not a game for us to come out there and just get absolutely destroyed from an opening kickoff. And you can say injuries, you can make as many excuses as you want. I'm sorry. Injuries are a part of football. It is what it is. Your team is hurt. You still have to find a way to win. And they didn't even come close to win. And, and that's the thing. How is Slade, Henderson, Snow, and, and Reed all hurt week fucking three? Like, how does that happen? The strengths coaching, conditionings coach is so bad. And I'm going to put that on blast. Your top players are out all over. That's a bad job on strengths and conditioning on week three. Obviously, the snow injury, nothing you could do about it. But Slade, Henderson, and Reed not playing. It's kind of pathetic on the staff. I'm sorry. You could, you know, Hazleton, and Hazleton was awful too, and I'm going to get to that. You can blame injuries, but they still lost by 11. And they should have lost that game by three touchdowns outside of them trying to rally at the end. What concerns me the most outside of the secondary was how bad the front seven was in that game and how Penix just absolutely destroyed the secondary. When the D-line has zero sacks and one tackle for loss the entire game, they couldn't do anything. And that's actually a pathetic job, not just on Hazleton's end, but on Brandon Jordan's end. And I'm still all in on this guy because I think he's going to be phenomenal. He's a phenomenal recruiter. He's done this with NFL players. This is the new job to him that he's never done before. He gets some slack cut for him. I'm not mad at him. And plus, you're missing your best D lineman, who's arguably top three or four D lineman in the Big Ten, if not in the country. The front seven was bad. The secondary, though, you had an entire offseason to fix this. What you do, you bring in a mere speed, you pray that your guys stay healthy, and you try to run this back with what you have. You had an entire offseason, man. And they're bad. They're bad. I mean, they're probably worse than they were last year. 397 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and a 92 pass rating from Michael Penix. That is kind of pathetic that you made Michael Penix look like this Heisman Trophy-ish quarterback. I do credit Tucker for saying this was an absolutely horseshit secondary. That's leadership. I'm glad he owned up to it because I would have put him on blast today if he didn't take some leadership and own up to it and try to deflect the whole question. The whole nation saw it. You got torched 400 yards on defense on national television. That was one of the worst defensive performances I've seen from Michigan State ever. And had they won this game, I'm still coming on here, putting Hazleton and all of them on blast. And if Mel Tucker had any respect for himself, he'd fire Hazleton and he'd fire Harlan Barnett right now. If he has any respect for the program, if he has any respect for himself, 
they would be gone. But the 4-2-5 scheme is one of the worst schemes and I hated it coming in and I still hate it. When is a 4-2-5 ever successfully work? I get it. Like you can't switch the scheme mid-season. But if you're telling me that this offseason, Hazleton still has a job, Barnett still has a job. I don't know if Tucker has any respect for, for the program that does that. You need to go back to a 4-3-3-4. And I don't want to be that guy, but you kind of have to mimic what Michigan's kind of doing in their coaching staff. They bring in these young coordinators that can recruit, that know their X's and O's. You, you need to find that because Hazleton's clearly not your guy. Hazleton should have never even came back this year. I don't know what it is because there's talent too on that secondary. You're playing four stars. You're playing Bama transfers. You're playing a Georgia transfer. And I get it, like Henderson and Snow are out. That doesn't help you by any means. But you're playing top guys. You're playing four stars on your on your defense. It's not like you're rolling out a bunch of two and three stars like Northwestern does, and you can make that excuse that there's a talent gap. What's the talent gap between Washington and Michigan State? There is none. Both teams are recurring four stars, high-end threes. I don't know if Washington's going after five stars, but low-end five stars. You had an entire offseason to fix the secondary. You, you brought on Amir Speed, who has been meh. It's bad. Brown Williams was healthy. He was not good. And Chester Kimbrough's the worst fucking cornerback in college football. And I said it last year, and I'll continue to say it. I don't understand why they still play him. He might be a really good practice player. He might be the leader. I don't know what it is, but there's no reason why the guy should be touching the field. He's been bad all year. He gets burned literally every play. I don't get it, man. I don't get how they came out there and just laid a complete egg. And they're going to do the same thing this week against Minnesota. And shit, Ohio State two weeks late. <sighs> Gotta pray. Uh, I mean, Thorne actually looked really good. I'm going to give that to him. Easily the best player on the team, him and Keon. I hope this was like this turning point for him because they're going to have to throw a ball a lot this year because the run game showed that they're bad. And I'm sorry, Mel, but if you spend the entire first half trying to establish the run, and by the end of the first quarter, it's clearly not working. Don't fall behind 22-0 to start throwing the ball down the field. What was it? Like it was almost halftime. He threw like 10 passes. He was 10 for 10 for like 81 yards or something stupid like that. They opened it up in the second half, and they were picking apart Washington secondary. It makes me wonder if they did that the entire game, would they have won? I don't know, but you can't try to establish a run game for a quarter and a half and fall behind three touchdowns and a two-point conversion. That was not a good game coached by Tucker. I am glad he owned up to it with his team lacks preparation and the defense lacks a scheme. They have the players. I don't get it at all. Moving on to my final segment, I want to move on to Michigan football. They're going to demolish Michigan State this year if Michigan State can't put the secondary together. And if the front seven performs that bad against Washington, I don't know what they're going to do against Michigan. JJ is going to have a field day on that secondary. He's going to have a field day against Maryland this week. And Blake Corum looks like a very damn good running back. I really want him on the Lions next year. I think if you were to pair him and Swift in the backfield together, nobody's stopping that two-headed back system. And, and Swift's already phenomenal. Put Corum in there as a running back, too. Oh, my God. That's the perfect pick for the Lions. In my opinion, if they want to hit on a third or a fourth-round pick again, that's your guy. But it's time for Michigan to show they're truly number four team in the nation. It's Big Ten play now for both teams. Zero and zero, new season. This is all that matters. But I expect Michigan to absolutely demolish Maryland. Maryland's going to do the same thing that Maryland does every year, which is, you know, go 3-0 in non-conference play, enter Big Ten play, and suck like normal. 
And I hope this like Michigan off conference schedule thing kind of backfires on them. Because when you play an entire roster of quarterbacks, there's kind of an issue with your scheduling if you're playing four quarterbacks every game. I mean, they played seven on Saturday. The biggest concern to me coming into the season was Michigan defense. And I don't think that's really much of a concern to me now. I mean, they're fast, they're athletic, they're strong. Michigan's D will be fine. And my take of the year right now is Michigan should walk into Ohio State with one or less losses this year, and that game will decide the Big Ten. Because those two teams right there are clearly the two best teams in the Big Ten. And honestly, if Michigan were to walk into that game undefeated, I still see a way they can find the playoffs. Do they 100% get there? I don't know. But we're looking at all these other conferences. The Pac-12 sucks. The ACC is horrible. The Big 12 is bad. You might end up seeing two Big Ten teams and two SEC teams in the playoffs this year. The only teams I can really see that are out of the 14 picture right now potentially breaking in are Oklahoma, which I don't think they will. USC, potentially, they still have to run through their conference play against Utah. And the ACC, I mean, Clemson's not Clemson like they were. And I don't like NC State. I don't get the hype behind them. So if we're looking at every conference, there's a very strong possibility if Michigan were to walk into Ohio State 11-0 and and lose that game in the shoe in a close game, they can't get blown out there. Michigan would probably find a way into the playoffs this year just off of everybody else being so bad. But I'm going to wrap up this episode now. I'll be back Friday with another probably hour-long episode previewing the week, recapping other things that go on throughout the week. Once we hit Pistons season, we're going Monday, Wednesday, Friday again. So October time. Definitely going to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So have a good week, guys. See you all on Friday.